many people in churches check out because they, they, they have to do something with this faith that we've been given. Uh, they have to do something with the word of God that we've been given. And that's when many people, I don't want to do something. I just want to hear it and I just want to go home. And, um, and this is where it becomes an uphill battle for a, in a lot of churches is people rather hear some in, you know, scintillating news about the last days or some things about the Antichrist. And, uh, but then when it comes to responsibility as a Christian to love one another, forgive one another, walk together in unity, it's almost like a glaze passes over and we don't really pay attention to it, which is probably, and in context of the scripture, a really important part before we could get to the anything else about the end times. If you don't get this right, how are you ever going to get the other stuff? I don't know. But a lot of times Christians just want to focus on those things, and which is nothing wrong with it in and of itself. However, this is a heavier matter. And that's what Jesus told the Pharisees. There are some heavier matters that are much important, much more important than to know some scintillating curiosity of the last days. So let's come together in prayer. Father, as we enter into this passage, Lord, we want to enter it as it were, as the Holy of Holies. It's, a, it's a, such a beautiful passage, and yet it is such an important thing for us to know and remember, Lord, that we want to address it the right way. Please, Lord, give me the words to say it and explain it the way you have explained it through your uh, apostle, through the prophet, to the, uh, through the apostle Paul. Lord, I thank you for your goodness, your kindness, your mercy. Give us the wisdom to understand it, but Lord, give us the courage to put it into action so the world could see, Lord, that we love one another. And that's what they would see, that they, we would love one another as you have loved us, and that they would know, the world would know that we belong to you by the love we have for one another. So this I ask you, Lord, by faith, believing, Lord, that you would speak to us, um, in particular, your own hearts, Lord, as it matters so much, uh, this, this topic of Christian unity and what it means to us daily, actively, in our fellowship. So, Lord, I ask you that you help us to understand it and apply it. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to Galatians 5. Galatians 5, and we're going to sort of jump around Galatians 5 a little bit. Our text, mainly, it's going to be 526. There are no chapter divisions, so we'll go to chapter 6, verse 5. Uh, and, and there's no chapter division because there's one thought, but we have to break it up in verses so it's easier to find. That's the nice thing about verses. It's easier to find Sometimes it breaks up the theme because we think, well, I read chapter 5 and I'm done for the day, and we forget that it continues. And you won't know it until the next time you read chapter 6. Walking in the Spirit. Let's read together verse 25. I'm sorry, uh, Galatians 5.25, and then we will get to verse 5 of chapter 6. If we live by the Spirit, or in a better way, sense or if... If we're enjoying this life of the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking out to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and therefore or thereby fulfill the law of Messiah. If anyone thinks he is something, when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work, 
And then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. For each one will bear his own load. Each one will bear his own load. So we're talking about Galatians. And I guess if you're going to jump into Galatians, we haven't taught it verse by verse, but if we're going to jump into Galatians, you need to know what Galatians is about. The theme of Galatians, if we're going to take the whole book, it's the whole letter, it's really a letter, it's Christian freedom, Christian freedom. It is Christian liberty, but what kind of liberty? That's the question, right? The first half of the letter deals with the liberty that we're free from the law, external instructions. Christians are free from the law because we are not bound by external instructions in a way that is rules and regulations that will bring slavery to that rule and that regulation. And will, therefore, if you miss it or if you mess up, there's a fear of penalty. Does that make sense? Christians, in the first half of Galatians, it's all about the liberty from the law. Christians are not bound to the law in a sense of rules, regulations, because that brings fear. If you mess up, there's a fear of the penalty, right? So it's talking about the old covenant law. It's the Old Testament law of the law of sin and death, that regulation, regulatory. You must do this. You have to do this. And Christians are free from legalism, absolutely free. And that's the wonderful thing that Christians really sometimes forget. There's tremendous freedom in Christ, tremendous freedom in Christ. Do you realize today you can wear whatever you want today to church? Oh, pastor, you can't say that because then people are going to take it the wrong way. They're going to be completely in, 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 in an immoral way, will come dressed up however they want. But remember, we're talking to Christians in freedom. In the Old Testament law, you had to wear certain, there's a dress code. You can't wear uh, a dress or clothing of mixed material. You're all breaking Moses' law today. You all should deserve to die. You all should be deserved to take it to the back and scold it at least for wearing clothing of mixed material. Now, you never think about those things. Never one of us. Not every one of us. Maybe if you grew up in a Jewish Orthodox home, you thought about that. But none of us ever thought about that time when you get up in the morning, am I wearing the right materials today? Am I wearing the right clothing? We're not bound to a day of worship. We're not bound to any sort of day of worship where this day has got to be the day or else that's it. Now, in the old covenant law, there was that day, right? There's a sabbatical law. But in Christian liberty, all days matter, right? Amen? You're still in tryptophan. All right, let's try to break it up a little bit. Tryptophan is the... Protein and turkeys that make you sleepy. You guys know that? Okay, that. so you guys are still going through that. All right. Um, in Christian liberty, it's not bound to a 24-hour period where this is it. This is the time you worship God. It's all days matter. Some days, some people may steam one day above the other, but to all, for Christians, it's all the same day. It's all worshiping the Lord. There's really no restriction. There's no regulation. Um, that's the part about freedom in Christ. Don't you love that? No? Okay. I mean, I don't know how else to say it. It's, it's, it's incredibly liberating. Uh, how many ask you this? How many guys came from a religious background that, um, and put it this way, you were not born again, but you came from a religious background? Okay. How hard was it? Was it regulatory? 
Did it have restrictions? Did it have do's and don'ts so hard that you just, you know what, forget it. I, I can't comply with this. Amen? Okay. I know Ms. Carol has a wonderful testimony, and you can talk to her about that, and Daryl too. And, uh, incredible, legalistic, regulatory, external laws that bound you, and if you messed up, you're done, brother. <laughs> you better not show up, right? Because it was made by man's law, attaching some kind of a, a God's law to it and putting it on people, right? And so Christians are free from that, hallelujah, are free from the regulatory, legalistic aspect of the law. Amen. We don't realize how much freedom that is unless you came from that background. Because some of us got saved, you're like, what law? What regulatory? But unless you're a Jew or you came from maybe a, a legalistic uh, a Christian circle that was socially legalistic, then you don't appreciate the freedom that you have in Christ. But however, the Christian liberty, some people would agree to it and say, that's right, no one should tell us what to do. We should just do whatever we want. And that, my friend, happened in Paul's day, and it was called antinomianism, no law. People were against any sort of law, right? So don't tell us what to do. We can make our own rules, right? We can make our own rules. Since there's no law... We can live however we want. Isn't that wonderful freedom? The second half of the letter says, no, that is no freedom at all. Because now you're bound by something probably even worse. It's your old nature wanting to do whatever it wants to do. And because you are against any law, you're now bound by your own desires to do what you want, and that it brings into bondage. And that's what Paul's half, the second half of the letters Galatian is, in Galatians is, it's licentiousness to think like that. It's a license to sin. We're also not under that kind of freedom. That is not freedom at all, to do what you want. That is no freedom. You're bound by your own self. You're bound by your own desire. So Paul says, we're not governed by the outside, by laws. We're not governed by the inside, ourselves, our old nature. Who are we governed by? The Spirit who's above us. That's Christian freedom. Not the laws from the outside regulating everything that you do. Not the inside of your own heart that says, I can do whatever I want. But it's the Spirit who leads you into that wonderful Christian freedom that we all should enjoy and should be enjoying today. It is by the Spirit. True liberty is the Spirit of the Lord. True liberty is the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's true liberty. Not, it's, it's the liberty of the Spirit to say, I have the freedom not to sin. I have the freedom not to sin. Can you imagine that kind of freedom? It's an amazing freedom. And if you understand before Christ that we're bound by either law or sin, we're now free in the Lord Jesus, free by the Spirit to not to sin. We're free not to sin. That's the greatest idea. You know, some people say, don't sin. <laughs> the Spirit says, you're free not to sin. That's the power of God. I'm giving you the power to choose not to sin. Because now that's been restored through Jesus, the Spirit of, the spirit of liberty, right? And we walk with the Lord. And so Paul calls this, this uh, relationship with God a walk, right? So we're walking in the Spirit. You notice that all through the epistles, Paul always deals with our relationship with God as unto a walk, your walk with the Lord. That comes from the Old Testament, right? Uh, Abraham walked with God. 
All the patriarchs walked with God, but of course, probably the most famous one was Enoch. He walked with God, and he was no more because God took him. What a wonderful thing, right? Isn't that your life could have been like that? <laughs> you walk with the Lord, you keep walking with the Lord, and one day God says, let's come to my house. Your, your house is too far. Let's come to mine, and that's how Enoch got to heaven. He kept walking with the Lord, and one day the Lord said, you know, we're going to go to my house, and Enoch said, okay, Lord, and he's been there ever since. But now in your walk with the Lord, it's not the one step, right? Your salvation is not a one-step process and an escalator to heaven. You ever notice that? Uh, many people confuse that. They say that one step, and now it's done, and you're an escalator to heaven. The Bible says it's a walk. That means you keep up with the Lord, not ahead of the Lord, right? Because that would be wrong. And not far from the Lord, because then how do you, would you know where he's going? But each step by step who decides that step? The Holy Spirit, right? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, right? A very famous, very wonderful passage that we're to trust the Lord and not to lean on our own understanding, but in all of your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct our steps. That's the life of the Spirit, is to walk in the Spirit. It's to, who says, well, who's going to decide that step? The Spirit. Let the Spirit decide what step to take. Where should I go, Lord? This direction or that direction? Let the Spirit indicate to you which direction to go, right? And let Him direct your path. Now, in chapter 5, verse 16, this is all intro, by the way. We're not there yet. We'll culminate it at the end very, very quickly because we have communion today, too. Verse 16 of chapter 5, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you do, will not carry out the desires of the flesh, that old nature, the desires of the flesh. This is the personal walk, all right? The word walk there is your own personal walk with the Lord. Your decisions to either walk by the flesh, by your own nature, or your decision to walk by the Spirit. And there is listed the consequences, or I should say, what it looks like when you walk in the flesh. So in five, chapter 5, verse 16, it tells you this is your own personal walk. Paul says, walk by the Spirit, and this is what happens when you don't walk by the Spirit. Exhibit, I don't know, 15 of them <laughs> or so. It looks awful. It looks horrible. If I'm left to my own desires, in my own behavior, in my own thinking, in my old nature, I would behave like this. That's what Paul is saying. This is what happens when we don't walk in the spirit. You're going to walk in the flesh. This is what happens. The flesh is the old nature. The old you would fall into these uh, dangerous, dangerous behaviors. But Paul says... That shouldn't be among believers. You are to walk in the Spirit. And these are the wonderful things of the Spirit, are the fruit of the Spirit. It's the divine nature of Jesus, His character, the divine character of Christ, the divine character of Jesus being built up in you by the Holy Spirit. And you have these wonderful, wonderful uh, behaviors or fruit of the Spirit in your life. He's reminding us this is what happens when we walk in the Spirit. We become more like Jesus. We look like him, right? Uh, our responsibilities toward God are there. Our responsibilities toward others are there. And our responsibilities to ourselves are there, right? Self-control, gentleness, meekness, right? There is aspects of the fruit of the Spirit that encompass how we deal with God, our relationship with God, our relationship among believers, and how we're to be, our own behavior. We're to have self-control. It's the, it's the final one. 
But we're to walk, and this is the individual progress. This is the individual progress. You walk with the Lord, you look more like Jesus, you let the Spirit direct your steps. This is what it's going to look like. You let yourself direct your steps, your flesh directs your steps. That's the other uh, slide that we showed there. Make sense? All right, setting it up. Because now, verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit. This is where our study of Galatians take place. The word walk there, you would say, well, why is he saying it again? Verse 16, walk by the Spirit. Verse 25, walk by the Spirit. Is he just repeating it? The answer is no. The word there is a different word for walking. Verse 16 is your walk. You personally have to walk and choose to live in the flesh or be led by the Spirit. In verse 25, this word walk, it's not an individual walk, but it's a corporate walk. Now, this is very important here, because now what Paul is saying here, if you're going to live by the Spirit, we're going to have to walk together in fellowship, in unison, in unity. And if we're in the Spirit, if we walk by the Spirit, which I think if we had a show of hands, we would say... Does anyone want to walk by the Spirit? And everybody would say, amen. And, uh, and they say, it's great. I want to have the fruit of the Spirit. I want to walk my own life with the Lord. And it's wonderful, that private walk with the Lord and unison with Jesus. But then Paul says, all right, you ready? You want to walk by the Spirit? Good. Let's walk together. Oh, I have to, have to walk together with that guy and that girl <laughs> and that person? Oh. Yes, if you want to walk by the Spirit, you need to be in unison with them. But pastor, don't you know how, how inferior of a Christian they are? They don't have gifts like I do. I mean, I've been empowered, anointed by God to do the work of the kingdom. Paul says, that's the flesh. If you're really going to walk in the Spirit, then you need to be in unison with your brothers and sisters together. And here's the key, right? Because... Not every single person is the same gifting, the same calling, the same maturity. So that means some of us who've been walking with the Lord for a long time and mature, or should be mature, have to shorten up our walk in a sense of keep it in stride with those who are less mature and maybe less gifted. Oh, boy. And that, my friend, is walking by the Spirit. Did you know that? Walking by the Spirit. Now, let's read this. Verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, which we all would agree, let us literally march together or walk together by the Spirit. And this is a very, very important thing. When my wife and I got together and we started to doing some walking together and running together, we realized we had two different kinds of strides. My wife likes to go really fast, and I don't like to go that fast. But in order for us to stay together, we had to compromise. You shorten your stride, I will elongate my stride, and we'll get it together until we're both walking together so we can go on a walk. There's no, there's no joy in her half a mile away and I'm half a mile behind. We couldn't talk. We couldn't get together on those things. But it was so nice to be able to say, okay, you slow down, I'll speed up, and we'll be in unison together walking through the park. I know that sounds a little cheesy, but that's the reality. When we get together as believers, 
Some of us have longer strides because we've been walking with the Lord longer. Or maybe we're truly gifted in the Lord in certain areas, and others are not. And what are you going to do? Leave them behind. Get ready. Here comes me, anointed by the Lord to really change the world. And I don't have time for these you know, so-called you know, lukewarm Christians. They need to just stay behind. And there's that kind of rivalry in the church. Don't get me, don't get me wrong. It, it does happen. Now, let's continue. Walk with believers step by step. This is challenging because we live in a society where individuality, right? Individuality tends to be the norm. I'm gifted by the Lord. I'm called by the Lord. Therefore, God's going to use me in this way. And I'm just going to, you know, kind of trailblaze my own path in the ministry. And you forget that it's not just about the one person, but it's about the fellowship growing together. If we live by the Spirit, right, let us walk or march or together in the Spirit and together, right? The point is togetherness. Now, let's understand this. As Christians, we're called to be soldiers. Everybody all right with that? All right. hope this is not too, uh, too infuriating. We're called to be soldiers. Several times in Scripture, Paul tells to Timothy, be a good soldier, and of course, there's the wonderful reference of Ephesians chapter 6 about the war that is happening, not against flesh and blood, but against the enemy, right? There's a battle against sin. There's a battle against Satan. Absolutely true. We're in enemy territory. Yes, that's why Christians are called to be soldiers, to fight the good fight of faith. Does that, does that make sense, everybody? Okay, these are the, the scriptures that bring about the remembrance of where we are. We are in enemy territory. We are, have been giving the gospel. We've been giving the word of God. We've been giving the opportunity to witness and share and bring forth the word of God to people and to dis- make disciples. But it's a battle. And therefore, God equips us. And because we're equipped, we're also going to walk together in unison. By the way, if you, if you do a lot of your studies on, uh, on Ephesians 6, you're going to come to a lot of conclusions about the way that Roman, Roman soldiers walk together in unison. And the reason why they won a lot of battles is because they're very disciplined in how they work together in unison against their enemy. And when somebody fell, they immediately picked them up. If somebody was, uh, wasn't able to keep up, they are able to help them. And many times in the church, um, I should say, the church should be looking like this. And Paul's going to explain it in more details. Is that in our own individuality, the church sometimes looks like a conglomerate of individuals walking every which way in their own path, in their own thinking, in their own, what they would say, calling, and they forget that we're to walk together as, as a fellowship, to walk together in the Spirit as a people of God, not individuals, but as believers together in fellowship. And many times, and it's happened in this church, we have um, people heading in different directions, and it just looks like this person's doing this, this person's doing that, and, and it becomes this very difficult to gear everybody together toward the cross, walking together, because everybody wants to do their own thing, <laughs> and because they feel this calling in their life, and they forget that if we're going to walk by the Spirit, this is what it's going to take to really make disciples and come against the wiles of the enemy. We're in enemy territory, right? It's a battle. It's a fight. 
There's, there's the, the souls of the lost at stake. There's the, the, the disciple of believers at stake. What is it going to take? Is it going to take believers to be all going different directions and that's really what's going to bring disciples or make disciples? Or is it going to take a, a, a fellowship that really wants to walk by the Spirit, that looks like this in unison, walking together, bringing people into Christ, and we can face the enemy? And Paul's going to be more in details. Now let's look at uh, verse 25 again. If we find this new life in the Spirit, I'm adding what the translations will be like, if we have the Spirit, right, let us ask the Spirit how to walk. Let the Holy Spirit deal with your own walk with other Christians. Let the Holy Spirit deal with you on how to walk with other Christians. And it's going to make a lot of sense in a minute. Because you are on duty as a Christian now. You realize when you became a believer, you were enlisted. Remember that song as a kid? Maybe you sang it. I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir. Those who did children's ministry, you guys exactly know which song it is. We've been enlisted, right? We've been enlisted by Christ in this battle. And the battle is that you're now on duty. You're in enemy territory and you're on duty. And it's not just against your flesh. It's against the enemy. It's against sin. It's against uh, the, the wiles of the enemy. And if you know that this life of the Spirit is real, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us keep in step with the Spirit, letting us walk together. And that's a really, really important thing because we're so conditioned to just be, you know, I'm walking in the Spirit, Pastor. Thank you very much. See you next Sunday. I'm going to trailblaze for the Lord and everything that He calls me to do. And we forget the unity of the Spirit that is in, 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 in involved in all believers together. And this is what it's going to take for mature believers to do so because there's a calling for mature believers in this passage. Now, why is this important? It's important because the Lord gave us this commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. Absolutely. Love the Lord, love your neighbor, those who are in need, according to Jesus. But he also told us this, to love one another, to love one another. And he says, to love one another as I have loved you. And he told that to the disciples in his last meal, right, in the upper room. And he told them, you know, it's not just you and this guy and you three that get along and you three that get along and you guys love each other and you four that get along in the back and you love each other. It's like, no, all 12 of you love one another. All 12 of you learn how to love one another. And he gave us that command because I would say this. In those three commands, to love God, love your neighbor, and love believers, love other, other Christians. Loving Christians is the hardest one that you'll ever face. <laughs> By far, no doubt, I have absolutely not even an inkling of hesitation to tell you, loving Christians will be the hardest thing to do. Because loving God, he's wonderful. He's great. The more you know him, the more you love him. And what's not to love about the Lord? He's so faithful. He's so good. He'd never let you down. I can love God. Absolutely. Love my neighbor. People that are in need. I could do that. I see a need. We're drawn naturally to help that need. Somebody's in need. You see somebody in need in the neighborhood. You see somebody in need in your own area. And you meet the need. The nice thing about it is, since you don't live with them, you meet the need. And you go home. You see the point? The Good Samaritan, right? The story of the Good Samaritan. 
did a wonderful thing. And as you should do that, absolutely. But loving other Christians, loving believers that you meet with more than once a week, is the toughest challenge for any one of us. And that's what the Lord gave us. Why is it so hard? Because we, are, we didn't choose each other. You ever notice that? We didn't choose each other. You didn't come to fellowship and say, well, I'm going to choose all my friends. <laughs> and, uh, and all my friends are going to come to church. That's not the case. You walked in here and you said, man, I don't know anybody. Or maybe I know some. And now you have to love them and deal with them. And you're going to be together in eternity, yes, but the problem is living here with them. That's going to be the hardship. That's going to be the hardest part. Because when you get too close to someone, they may irritate you or you may irritate them. And then, the, of course, the answer is, Leave the church and go to another one. That's always the answer. It's interesting, when Jesus told the seven churches, right, even though as hard and difficult as it was, and, and some of the churches were really, really messed up, not one time Jesus said, just find another church. Isn't that interesting? That's it. It's curious thing. Some things interest me. Some things grab my attention. That in all the messed up things that were going on in those churches, Paul didn't say to the Corinthians, you know what? It's time to find another church. He just said, obey the Lord, keep the unity, love each other, Christian liberty, all right? Follow the Holy Spirit. Don't abuse the gifts. I mean, on and on and on, he said. Why? Because ultimately, the Lord wants us to do this, to love one another and keep the unity for the sake of everyone else. Absolutely. For the sake of the lost, for the sake of the Lord, the God, God's kingdom. But take a look at this. Jesus said, by this you will know that you are my, the world will know that you are my disciples because you love one another. Loving God to the lost doesn't impress them. You loving God in front of lost people will not impress them. Why? They don't believe in God. So what's the, you're going to impress? I love God. I don't believe in God. And then it doesn't impress them. Love your neighbor. Yes, do good things. Charity work. They already do it. They already do the charity work. They just look at you as um, you know, more religious in that sense. But they, you know, they give, they give, you know, they give at Christmas, you know, they, they do things like that. But loving one another, you mean you come to a place where everybody's from different backgrounds, cultures, race, opinions, uh, activities, and yet you love one another and you put up with one another? The world says, that is amazing. That's truly amazing. I mean, I've read books like that. I've read books from non-believers who look at the church, the way it's formed, the organization, and the way it ought to be. And they say, this is amazing. Everybody's a volunteer. Mostly nobody gets paid. And, uh, and yet everybody comes. And everybody just works together in unison. How is this being? And they try to model it and bring it into the world. And it doesn't work. Why? Because it's only by the Spirit. It's only when you obey the Spirit that it actually works. And so now, this is what it's like to be in a family. Okay, people that come to fellowship, people that come to church, they use it, uh, they might as well be joining a club, honestly. And churches have become a club. I say this as, as a Christian, as a pastor. Churches have become a club because you can come in, you can look around and say, well, this doesn't suit me, and you can cancel your membership, and you can go to the next club down the street and say, yeah, I found another club, and then you'll find something else wrong with it, and then you'll go on and on and on. And many Christians treat church like that. You're just joining a club. And if you don't like something, I'm going to cancel my membership next week, and I'm going to go find another club. 
Now, what the Word of God says about each other is that it's a family. And you don't cancel memberships with family. I know you would probably want to after this past week, but you don't cancel memberships with family. Family, as brothers and sisters in Christ, are having to grow together and learn together and love one another. Can you imagine that? What a concept that there is a responsibility of believers to love one another because as obedience to Christ, but also that the world may see that you are my disciples. And you know, one thing for sure, Satan hits this more than we give him credit for. Satan hits this point so much so that he has destroyed ministries and works of the Lord within people, within groups, by this one thing. He disbands them. He creates animosity among them. And he undoes so much ministry by this one thing, keeping Christians out of step with one another. Isolate them. And have this envy and strive with each other than any other thing that he does. Satan hits this with churches all the time. It is probably his number one attack is that if he keeps Christians from walking together, then the church becomes unfruitful. Have two or three people in a church that are you know, not wanting to be part of, walk together in the spirit, then you create a bigger group and a bigger group, and all of a sudden the church becomes divided and becomes split. Now let's continue with this, because now we can now get into verse 26. Three things, Paul is going to say, three things that will create this disunity. Three things that will create this disunity. Then later on, Paul's going to say, tell you three things that will create the unity. First one, three ways Christians get out of step with each other. Number one, pride. Look what it says. Let us not become boastful. Let us not become boastful. Um, certain Christians can only walk by themselves. There are some Christians that only want to walk by themselves. That means that they are in unison with themselves. But the, as soon as you put them with other Christians, it becomes a real friction. Ever notice that? They're great by themselves. <laughs> Me and the Lord trailblazing for Jesus. Then you put them in a group, and it's like, what happened to the unity? What happened to walking together? <laughs> and it's now disbanded. Why? Because this is not God's will for them to be uh, alone. God's will for them is to be in unity, like an orchestra, right? If one musician gets off course, the other one gets off course, and all of a sudden you have a destructive sound. Uh, what lies behind this disunity is pride. Pride, the sin that God hates, one of the things that God hates, deadly, an abomination to the Lord, boastful, getting ahead of others, right? Let us not become boastful. In Christian ministry, this is what happens to Christians sometimes. They are very well talented or gifted in the Lord, and they become boastful in what they do, and they walk ahead of other believers. They walk ahead of other believers. And maybe they have a reputation to maintain in terms of being a super Christians, and they have a superiority complex, right? A superiority complex means, complex means that they are more gifted than anybody else, and therefore, they are to be leaders. They are to be ahead of everybody. And um, they forget one thing. If they're gifted, they're gifts. <laughs> it, wasn't for it, wasn't, it wasn't for them, right? The gifting came through the Lord. The gifting came through the Lord, and it was giving to them so they can be in the ministry, help the church, help the body, grow together. But they take it upon themselves, and they say, well... Not everybody's as talented, as gifted as me. I'm going to go ahead. 
And now you have this, a break in the rank, you would say. A break in the rank. We're walking together in unison, discipling others, coming against the enemy's attack. But now this brother decided to go this way, <laughs> and the body's going this way. And now there's an empty spot <laughs> in the rank. What are you going to do? Right? And people um, use this uh, the idea of pride against other people. They're no longer walking in unison because they feel more talented and gifted than, gifted than other people. And so now they feel superior than others. I have more gifting. I have a better calling. I've been used by the Lord more. That's a very dangerous spot to be. Take a look at this. I, this is this message that I heard. It was on TV, so you know it was really bad. Um, the greatest message I ever preached. This is a pastor saying. The greatest message I ever preached. Title, how to be humble. How to be humble. The greatest message I ever preached, how to be humble. Well, pride can take its spirit in a spiritual form. It's gross. Um, what's the right approach, right? The right approach is if you're gifted, if you're more gifted, if you're more mature, by the grace of God, you've been given this, gifted, uh, this gifting, and by the grace of God, you've matured in Christ, help others become more mature. If you know how to teach, teach. If you know how to help, help. If you know how to administer, administer. And help others grow in that same capacity that you've grown. Maybe you are very gifted and talented. Maybe the Lord has given you all that. But now it's time to use it to help other believers in their ministry and grow together. It's an amazing thing that happens. Now, the second thing is, Paul says, challenging one another. Verse 26, challenging one another. This is, again, pride, but it's in a form of rivalry. Rivalry. And I've seen this in ministry so many times. It's gross. Where ministry becomes a tug of war. Literally a tug of war. It's a rivalry. Elders against other elders. Deacons against other deacons. Other believers against other believers. Ministry becomes who's got the more talent, right? Who's got the better calling? Who's got the better gifting, right? And it irritates others around them, and so people pull back. People pull back because these individuals can become so prickly, in a sense, that nobody wants to work with them. Ever had anybody like that, right? In ministry, right? Where you go, man, we should be loving one. No, no. It just becomes this rivalry, this fight, this, well, this pastor teaches better than these other guys, so we should have this other guy teach, and these other elders are better, you know, he's, he's better with other people than this guy, and we should have this deacon, and I don't know how he got in, and it becomes this, and you should, this, that's why we don't have meetings like that, right? But this breaks away the rank of believers, because nobody wants to work with them now. If somebody becomes so toxic like that, and it's like, you know what, I don't want to work with them. And now there's a pulling away from the rank of believers. Again, the unity of the Spirit, walking in the Spirit together. That's what Paul's saying, together. Not individual, that's verse 16. Verse 25, together. Let's continue. The third one is envy. That doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. Envy. When you see, and so this is the inferiority complex. We talk about the superiority complex when somebody believes that they have better gifting than others. This is the inferiority complex. It's to envy other people's gifts and calling and to say, well, this guy's a better teacher. I'm not going to teach anymore. This guy's he prays so well. I'm not going to pray because every time he prays, 
I look like a fool. Every time we go into his prayer meeting and he's there, he prays so wonderful. I'm not going to pray because I don't want anybody to think that I'm not as gifted as he is. So I'm not going to do it. You think how petty it happens all the time where people become, uh, they see themselves inferior than the other person and the envy, the gift of that person. And instead of saying like, Lord, please help me to be maybe like him or maybe I should just come alongside him and so he can help me and, and, and be more uh, used by the Lord like he is, they, they pull back and they said, fine, he's more gifted than he teach. He's more gifted than he should pray. He's a better evangelist. He should go. I'm not going to go. And boy, does it become a disunity in the church. Now imagine this. Not just one person, but people that think like this. In fellowship, in ministries. And it becomes an envy. A, a game of envy, right? It's like the guy who has the one talent. Envies the guy with the five and the ten. And he buries his own talent. Remember the story that Jesus said, the talent, right? He buries it. The other guys had five and ten. Fine, I don't want to do it. I'm going to bury my talent. And it becomes a real terrible thing for ministries. Terrible thing for the unity of the spirit. So believers, do not let pride, do not let envy, do not let uh, the rivalry prohibit you from walking together in the spirit. These are the three things not to do. Just because somebody's gifted, just because somebody... Uh, push people away just because somebody is more talented than or gifted than you are. We're just keep together the unity. Okay, this is what not to do. Now, here are the wonderful things Paul says. This is what to do. So, if you want to walk in the spirit together, this is what you should do, brethren. If anyone is caught in any trespasses, you who are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself, so that you too will not be tempted. So how do we walk together? You help one another. In a battle, you've seen any kind of war movie or any battles, you know, reading uh, through wars and things like that, uh, stories of wars, they're very disciplined. If somebody falls, you're supposed to go get them. If somebody is injured, you're supposed to get them. If somebody can't carry their load, you're supposed to go get them and help them carry the load. That is, in military terms, what you do. It's just the way you're trained. So Christians are to do the same. So three situations. One, somebody falls. If anybody's caught in trespasses, this happens. This happens, and it could happen to any one of us. It's as if, brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespasses, this happens in Christian fellowship, and we are to be aware of this. We are not safe until we see Jesus. We are not safe until we see Jesus. We're still in enemy territory. If any, brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, right, if any trespass, um, if anyone is, can be overwhelmed with temptation and slip or caught doing wrong, right, this is what happens to Christians. We fall. We're tempted. We fall. We get caught in trespasses. We do something wrong. What are we to do? Call everybody you know and tell them how unspiritual that brother is, how that sister is such a sinner, and put it on Facebook and get many likes because that proves that you are more spiritual because you're calling her out. Right? No, it actually says, if you see that person, 
in sin. Ostracize them from the fellowship. Keep them away. They don't deserve to be in ministry anymore. They're absolutely horrible. It doesn't say that either. It actually says if anybody falls, if anybody uh, is caught in any trespasses, you are to restore them. You are to restore them, not with pride, but with humility. You're to restore them with humility because you are more spiritual. Those who are spiritually mature should go get them, get them back on their feet, get them back into the ministry if they're serving in that capacity. They should be back into the line. They should keep going in the spirit. They should walk in the spirit together. Go get them back. Don't leave them behind. Get them back into fellowship. That is a tall order, isn't it? And I would say this, just as a side note, sometimes it's not possible. Sometimes the people that, and this is another subject, it's a totally different subject, people that are in sin don't want to repent, don't want to come back to fellowship, and they leave, and you can't restore them. That's a different story. We're talking about somebody that Paul is saying is caught in sin, wants to be restored, wants to be nurtured back into fellowship, and Paul says, if you want to walk in the Spirit, restore them. It's a command. We have to restore them. But to do it with pride, lest you think that that, can happen, that cannot happen to you. It's a very important thing. Don't do it in pride. Don't think you're better than him because it could happen to us. Turn to James chapter 5. Now, this is an amazing thing. James chapter 5 tells us something very fascinating. The end of the chapter. James 5, 19. My brethren, talking to brothers, talking to Christians, my brethren, if any among you strays away from the truth. Well, that can't happen, can it? Well, if this is not the word of God, then we're reading a different book. <laughs> if any, my brothers, I'm not saying unbelievers, he's not saying, you know, the guy down the street or atheists, he's saying Christians, brethren, my brethren, if anyone among you strays from the truth, I didn't even need to explain it, right? It's, 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 it's pretty straightforward. If I explain it, I'm, I'm doing injustice to the Word of God. There's no, there's no reason to explain any further than what it says. If anybody among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. It does happen to Christians. It does happen. So you, when you restore such a one, do it in compassion and gentleness, lest you be the one sitting in that chair. How would you want to be restored? How would you want to be brought back to fellowship? Oh, Pastor, I, that would never happen to me. You know, I had a guy here one time that told us the same thing. It would never happen to me. Got caught in adultery, all kinds of licentiousness. It'll never happen to me. If you ever say that, <laughs> just know that it could happen to you, right? Let's thinks who stands, watch out, lest he falls. We have to remember that. Don't do it in pride. Number two, brethren, if, oh, that's something, uh, verse two, bear one another's burden. So this is number two. What do you do to keep the unity? If somebody's overloaded, Bear one another's burdens, and therefore fulfill the, Messiah, the law of the Messiah. If somebody's overloaded, if somebody's carrying too much of a burden in their lives, pray about it. I'm being facetious, of course. He's trying to 
wake you guys up from the tryptophan, right? If anybody is in trespass and sin, go and restore them. We got that right? All right. That's a command of the Lord, by the way. Do you know that? That's a command of the Lord. We're to do that. It's not an option. We're to do that. Second, if anyone is carrying too much, you are to go and bear their burdens. If somebody's overloaded, their life's really hard, and I've seen this overwhelming thing in Christian ministries for the last maybe 10 years, ever-growing, is that Christians are overloaded and stressed out and incredibly pushed to the limit in this life, more than probably any other time that I've seen in ministry, where believers are going through this, they're pressed, they're growing in more difficulties, there are tensions at work, tensions in ministry, pushed to the limit, strained, and believers are going into great depression, into great uh, uh, mental uh, uh, anguish, unlike anything I've ever seen before. It's a great need for ministry, by the way, in that capacity, to restore believers in such a way that are going through that. But God says here, they're weary, they're overloaded, and the fellowship should notice it and to go and help them. Amazing, isn't it? Don't pray about it. Don't think about it. Pray for them, of course. But it's not like prayer, like, Lord, should I? No, he says, go. Go and do it. Paul says, carry some of their load. So practical, right? The word there is barrels, which means uh, to bear under un- overwhelming, crushing load for a long period of time. If you see a brother who's overloaded and bearing this incredible load, it's overwhelming him, it's crushing him, you see it, don't just go home and say, honey, I just saw this guy. I need, really need to pray about you know, what God says. Just go stop. Go do it. Like, what is it, that's, what is it that you need? How can I help you? If somebody's carrying that load, can I take it off your shoulder, brother? What is it that is troubling you? Can I take that load from you? Among men, it's a very interesting thing. Men don't say anything. I mean, they're like, oh, they're like going to die and... Brother, you okay? Yep, just fine. Brother, you okay? Yep, it's good. And just barely getting to fellowship and crawling. Brother, can I help you with anything? No, me and the Lord, we got it. And us men, we know what that is, right? Because we will never say, never say something's wrong. And that's the other side of pride, right? The other side of pride is to say, nope, everything's good. Don't carry carry any one of my burdens. No need for anybody to do it. I'm just fine. I'm just fine. Now, here's what the Word of God says. If anybody, verse 3, if anyone thinks he's something when he's not, when he's nothing, he deceives himself. If you're too proud to go and help a brother, if you think you're someone, you're actually nothing, the Bible says. Isn't that amazing? If you're too proud to go help the brother carry his burdens, because you say, I I don't want to get, it's messy. You have to get involved in someone's life. I don't want to get, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. You know, I have to ask them how they're doing. And if they're doing terrible, I have to pray for them. Then I have to call them. Then I'm going to meet them on Sunday. He's going to tell me how he's doing. That's way too messy for my life. I don't need that. And I'm being facetious, of course, but that's how we approach it sometimes. No, nope, I don't want to know. Because if I know, now I have to help them. <sighs> I have to do something <laughs> with my faith. And Paul says, do it. And if you're too proud to do that, you're nothing. I didn't say that. Oh, I'm just quoting it, but that Paul says that. 
Now, of course, like I said, some people are too proud to tell anybody how they're doing and what's going on in their lives. That's also wrong, because the Bible says we're to do that. Now, number three, I'm going to skip to verse five because it goes with verse four. For each one will bear his own load. Now, this is interesting here because is, is it contradicting? Is it contradicting verse two, uh, verse two? It's not. Each one will bear his own load. Again, this is one of those things where we have to look at the scriptures a little deeper. Remember the word walk? In verse 16, it means walk by yourself. In verse 25, it means walk together. Two different Greek words. Here's another one. To bear his own load or to bear his own burden, other translations say. The word burden here doesn't, it's not the same as in verse 2. It's a different word. It literally means responsibility. Responsibility. It's the word that was used for a mom carrying a baby. You have a mom carrying a baby here? No? Where's, where is she? Oh, yeah. Uh, but in the womb. In the womb. Just came out of the womb. <laughs> Where's Rebecca at? She's in the back? Okay. It's the word that's used for a mom carrying a baby in the womb. It was a word that was used for soldiers carrying their bag, going to war. Uh, it was a word that was used for ships carrying a load to a destination. Each one of us will carry its own responsibility. Right. All of us have a responsibility. That's what Paul's saying. All of us have to carry a load. All of us must bear that load. And sometimes in ministry, there are certain people in the ministry that don't want to carry any loads. They don't want to be involved. They don't want to be involved in ministry at all. They just rather come very peacefully and exit out very peacefully and come back very peacefully. And then what happens is, and this is the reality of anything, if they're not carrying their responsibility, somebody else is. And as Christians, we walk together in unison by the Spirit, in the Spirit, together against sin, against Satan in this world, and we're battling together. And if somebody just says, you know what, I just don't want to, then the other brother or the other sister is going to carry that load, and it's going to create the verse 2 effect. They're going to be overloaded with burdens. They're going to be overloaded with things that they're doing. And Paul is saying here very clearly, each one of us must carry its own responsibility. Christians are to be involved in the work of the ministry. The Lord is going to see to it that you carry your load. He's going to give you things to do. And if a Christian says, you know, no thanks. I don't want to have that in my life. Let somebody else carry it. Then that's also the issue of not doing or not carrying your own load. right? And carrying our own load is serving the Lord. Each one of us has a responsibility in the ministry. You know that? Every one of us. We've been gifted with the calling for service. Every single one of us. It's a beautiful thing. Different gifting, different callings, different ministries. But each one has to carry its own. I can't carry yours. It's yours. <laughs> the yoke that he gave you is yours. The beautiful thing is his yoke is easy and his burden is light. It fits you. It's for you. I cannot take on your calling. I cannot take on your ministry in a sense of service to the Lord. He's given me one. And together we walk together serving one another and in unison serving the body and making disciples and fighting against the enemy. But if somebody says, nah, I don't want to, then this other brother's going to be overloaded. Or this other sister's going to be overloaded and we're going to be off kiltered. 
and Christians are to walk together in unison. Now, it says in verse 4, but each one must examine his own work and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. If we do this, if we walk by the Spirit, if we help one another's burdens, if we carry our own responsibility, and we restore believers that have fallen, then we can boast the right way. We can boast in the Lord. And the Lord can say, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. You did, that I, you did with the load that I gave you, the, the responsibilities that I gave you. You did well. You finished well. And that's Christian unity. A church, when no one is proud, right? When no one is proud and no one's going ahead on their own, or provoking each other, poking each other in rivalry. And there's no envy. And if somebody falls, they pick them up. And if somebody's carrying too many burdens, they help carry that burden. And if everyone's active in the church, what a church. Where is that church? Has anyone seen that church? No. It is the church where everyone's walking by the Spirit. It could be any church. It could be this church. If we walk by the Spirit together, that's what it would look like. No envy. No pride. No provoking one another. Where everybody bears each other's burdens. They're looking out for each other. You carry your own responsibility, but you restore believers that have fallen and, have, and need to be restored. That is what a church looks like. That is what a church that is walking by the Spirit looks like. And you say, Pastor, but I'm walking by the Spirit. I'm the fruit of the Spirit in my own life. Look at me. I said, if you're not doing this part, if you're not walking by the Spirit together, then Paul says, you're walking in the flesh. Because you're so concerned just about your own walk. You're so concerned about your own gifting and calling and ministry, and you forget that there's this whole body of believers that God has given you. Remember, we didn't choose each other. God placed you. His calling, his gifting, his ministry, he placed you specifically in a place where you can serve and grow and help others grow. But if we walk together, it's going to be noticeable in this way, right? And it's a church that everybody's involved, right? Everybody bears their own responsibility. And that is a church where people walk in the Spirit. If, it doesn't, if it's not happening, then people are walking in the flesh. That's what Paul is saying here. That's a, that's a, an affront. How dare Paul says that I'm not walking in the Spirit? Well, if those things are not in your life, walking in the Spirit together, if you're not carrying one another's burdens, if you're not exercising the gifts and calling to unify the body, then yeah, it is. But Paul has shown us what this church looks like, what we ought to be. And seriously, may the Lord forgive us for what we are not. But we should praise him because he can make us what we ought to be. He can make us what we ought to be. It's the reality of just recognizing, like, Lord, am I not bearing people's burdens? Am I just so caught up with myself and my own walk that I really haven't noticed? Lord, am I just sitting here doing nothing? <laughs> Lord, am I, not, am I seeing people fall and not care about the restoration of them? 
let the Lord explain that to you. Because I don't know. I know what he's told me. I know what I ought to do. But one thing for sure is we're to do it together. And if somebody's gifted and calling and has a great talent, then that believer ought to slow us down a little bit. Help us get these other believers up to that speed. And those immature believers that are a little slow are to, we can help them speed up a little bit. So in unison, we can tackle this thing together called ministry, and service. And we can help each other against sin, and we can help each other against the enemy. What a church. Has anyone known anybody that has fallen? Plenty. Has anyone known anybody that's been restored? I've seen it. Absolutely. Paul is not saying this. He's not giving us this like, well, you know, in this scenario, I, you know, it may work. No, he's saying it does work. It's absolutely true. We just have to do it. We just have to do it. And this is where the walking by the Spirit comes in, right? It's still not, we're not striving in the flesh. We're walking in the Spirit. It's Christian liberty, right? Remember, we started with Christian liberty. It's not external things that are telling us you know, laws and regulations. It's not the self that is regulating us from the inside saying, I can do whatever I want. But it's the Spirit who's leading every step of the way and telling us, okay, walk by the Spirit. See the fruit? Got it. Okay, you got that part? Okay, good. Now walk together with other believers. Oh, Lord. That's so hard, isn't it? It's hard to love other Christians. No amen. It's hard to love other Christians. Why? They get on your nerves. You don't get along with them. You have a different view, this other view, and this other thing, and they become this like disjointed group on silliness, complete silliness. And God says, put away that. and Walk in the Spirit. And Christians were to love one another. Remember, if you love God, the world's not impressed. They don't believe in God. And if they do, it's a warped view of God. They help, your, they help their neighbors. Charity work, especially now. Loving your neighbor, it's not going to impress them that much. Loving other Christians, that blows them away. They cannot imagine that there will be a group of people, totally different backgrounds and places, that are united in a person, Jesus, and they love each other and take care of each other. That's a church. I want to go to that church. <laughs> I really do. I want to be part of that fellowship. I strive to be part of that ministry. And I call on brothers and sisters today to join that church, to be that assembly of believers, to be that people of God who he calls us to be. But praise God, he's able to do that. He can make us like that. And so as we finish here, we're going to have the communion, but we're going to pray. We're going to have a song, and I really, really want to exhort and encourage you to really seek the unity of the Spirit together, to walk in the Spirit together, right? Not a conglomerate of individuals going 10 different ways, but in unison. How does it look? How are we ought to be? Well, but one thing for sure, we need to be right with the Lord. And that would help us to be right with others.
Father, in Jesus' name, we're so thankful for the calling, for the ministry you've given us. Lord, it's a gift, and it's, 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 it's grace. It's what you've given us. It's not ours. It's not ours to keep to ourselves. It's ours to give away to others and to be used by you in the assembly of believers. Lord, it's so important. Lord, help us to get this down. Help us to understand it and apply it in our lives, that this is what it means to walk in the Spirit. And Lord, forgive us for ignoring it or not understanding it or, or even being against it, perhaps ignorantly being against and working against the unity of the Spirit within a fellowship and a body. Lord, make us what we ought to be. We surrender, Lord, to you and to your Holy Spirit to draw us near by the blood of Jesus, to draw us close to each other, Lord, and that we would bear one another's burdens. Lord, that if we see a brother today that is struggling, maybe financially, maybe spiritually, maybe just stress and the things of life that have gotten so heavy upon that person that he cannot or she cannot bear that load, Lord, help us to meet that need. And Lord, if we know brothers and sisters who have fallen, have slipped, have been caught doing something wrong, give us, Lord, the, the humility, Lord, to go to them in gentleness and kindness and restore them. And Lord, help us to be active. Help us to be serving. Help us to serve you and serve others in the capacity that you've given us to serve. Lord, we don't want to be idled. We want to maintain the unity of the Spirit by serving the body here, Lord. So help us, Lord. And we ask you for your grace today that we can't do it, Lord, in the flesh. We're not to strive in the flesh. We're not to overcorrect it because we think it's necessary to do this or to do that. But we're to do it in the Spirit. We're to let the Holy Spirit guide every step of our way, Lord. Just teach us, Lord. Show us what needs we can meet. Show us how to walk in the Spirit with other believers. And thank you, Lord, that there's this unity that you have created, the unity of the Spirit. It's there, but we're to strive to keep it. So, Lord, thank you. Thank you for this wonderful epistle of Paul, a reminder to every believer to walk together, to love one another as Jesus has loved us, to forgive one another, as we have forgiven in Christ, we've been forgive, we forgive one another. Thank you, Lord, that this is so dear to you. It's so important to you that on the night that you were crucified, you told this to, to the 12. You gave this emphatic message to them. And Lord, and we have a whole epistle, 1 John, written about loving one another, Christian love, as a test of our Christianity. We praise you, Lord that this is important to you and ought to be important to us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.